everyone, and welcome to One Meal, One Workout, your new approach to food and fitness. Brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Butler and Don Sullivan. Hey, everybody. This is Aaron Butler here at One Meal, One Workout. With me, as always, are Don Sullivan and Mark Cockrell. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> Oh, Emmett, the comedian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're excited today uh, to be here with you guys. And uh, Don, what are you excited about? Uh, Aaron, I'm excited about Dr. Leibowitz being here today. All right. I'm excited about that, too. I think that interview is going to change some lives. Mark, what's going on with you? Today, uh, well, this week, uh, football begins tomorrow. We're co- recording this on uh, Wednesday, Thursday. The fan- uh, football uh, season kicks off tomorrow. I'm excited about that. It's been uh, long months since the Super Bowl, and, and now I'm ready to go and ready to get my game on and watch some real football because preseason football doesn't count. And exactly. uh, also, we did our fantasy football draft uh, last night. And uh, I have a terrible team, and so it's going to be interesting to try to uh, uh, build that up and, and try to actually do something with it. And don't forget to be just as excited to watch the presidential address tomorrow after the game because they postponed him just for opening night. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> my wife, my darling sweet wife, came to me the other day, and she, she knows that she pretty much can have anything she wants anytime she wants it. She doesn't have to beg. She doesn't, you know, it's... I try my best to spoil her. That's kind of one of my goals. But she came to me with this sweet look in her eyes and said, honey. I said, yes, darling. She said, guess what? And I said, what? She said, DirecTV has NFL Sunday ticket for free right now if you sign up. For two years, right? For two years. That's I said, awesome. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, would you like to get that? And she said, yes. <laughs> so last Wednesday, guy shows up. We now have DirecTV installed. That's awesome. Uh, so are you going to turn and back into a couch potato who watches 12 hours of TV a week? I am trying my best not to. What I've done, there's a few shows that I've been interested in checking out, like Top Shot. It's a marksman show. That's and, a great show. Love that show. And uh, American Pickers was kind of interesting. And Pawn Stars and a few others. So I've, I've set them to record. I've watched an episode or two. And so far, I've canceled the recording on all of them. None of them have been enough to make me want to really stick with it. So I've got a couple of shows that I already watched on broadcast television and maybe one or two other shows that I might pick up here or there. I'm definitely going to take advantage of the DVR so that I can watch Chuck and still run because my running time ran into Chuck and I missed Chuck last season. But uh, no, I'm refusing to become a couch potato. Awesome. Down with direct TV. So so you're going to get your money's worth out of every Atlanta Falcons game this year, right? Dallas Cowboys, Don. Cowboys? Dallas Cowboys. I I thought Cheryl was a Falcons fan. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Quick, we got to get this podcast over. She'll be in here any moment. (laughs) Her her Dallas Cowboys sense is probably tingling right now as she sits on her Dallas Cowboys throw on your couch. Snuggie. Uh, (laughs) Oh, oh, a Snuggie, really? Now she's going to come in there for you. That's just wrong. Because you well, just put I, that I told all over her, the uh, internet, Aaron. I said, you know, we can do that, honey. We can pay thirty-five dollars a month for the next year. That's three hundred and four hundred twenty bucks, and then sixty bucks a month for the next year. That's seven hundred twenty bucks. That's like twelve hundred dollars. Or I could fly you to three or four games. <laughs> she said, "No, I'd rather see all the games." So I said, okay. So anyway, last weekend, um, she and I went backpacking for the very first time. We actually hiked in 
couple of three miles and then uh spent the night and hiked back out about four or five miles we were on like a loop track and i have to tell you that was so much fun we had a great time i don't know if either one of you guys have ever been backpacking before but it was a blast um except for the fact that we planned to bring the right amount of water and that did not bring it oh that's sounds, bad sounds like a genius we had a two liter bottle of water a soft bottle a one liter soft bottle and three sports bottles that went like two went in her backpack and one went in mine Somehow we got out of there with the bottle in my sports pack, my sport, my uh, backpack empty. I never filled it up, <laughs> and she filled hers up three quarters so she could freeze them and then top them off the next day. And we never topped them off, and we didn't have any extra water with us to drink after we did a first little preemptory hike. So we ended up. I had one mouthful of water the morning of the after we spent the night, and we had a Coke Zero and a Sierra Mist. So literally, I got up. <laughs> Drink this mouthful of water, drink a Coke Zero, and hiked five miles with a 50-pound pack on my back. But uh, so I learned my lesson, to say the least. But it was a lot of fun, so I recommend it. To, if you if you ever if you are physically able to go out and backpack and go hike and camp and things like that, it's a great way to get outside and get some exercise. So. Just bring water when you do. Yeah, bring water, lots of water. It's heavy, but it's worth it. Living is always preferable over dying <laughs> in the wilderness. So, Don, do you have anything in the news you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, certainly. I pulled up a article from ScienceDaily.com about fidgeting your way to fitness, which I, I found particularly apropos since Mark always teases me about being so active on camera. But it's, it's a, an article about how uh, researchers have found that uh, the amount of just what they call incidental physical activity, so more like less like going out and backpacking and more things like getting up and going to the photocopier throughout your workday or getting up to go speak to a coworker as opposed to sending an email are all things that can add up throughout the day to increase your level of activity, to increase your metabolism, and to help you lose weight and get fit. So you're telling me that I could lose a few extra pounds if I just bounced my leg at my desk and drove my neighbor crazy? Over time, you certainly can. That's awesome. So I shouldn't. So I shouldn't chastise my coworker that goes click 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 with their pen during the meeting. That's a couple of calories every click, Aaron. We could we should invent a silent clicking pen and call it the weight loss wand. But that wouldn't be as satisfying if it didn't make the sound. For some people, it would be. I guarantee. That'd be like popping popping bubble wrap that didn't make a noise. What's the point of that? <laughs> but I can speak. I I said this on a recent episode of uh, the Taiwa Tech that one of my goals this school year has been to be more uh, intentional and more present uh, when I do things. Do do things. Uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a, I'm a support tech, a computer guy. Uh, I I'm I'm going to do less remote support and more getting up and walking across campus and fixing it in person. And and I can attest that just in the last uh, you know month or so of of uh, enacting that. Um, philosophy uh, i do feel you know tightness in my calves and legs and and exercise that i didn't get before yeah it's interesting i i, I don't want to go too much with this but my uh philosophy in the past has always been one of efficiency right i've got uh that that uh high school graduate that i pay minimum wage i'm going to send him down to fix the paper jam in the printer and uh and that's more efficient or i'm going to do things remotely where i can do two or three three things at once so i i'm kind of changing this year and i just want to see what happens if i uh forego efficiency for face to face you know i think that relationship will get better with my staff and also i think there will be some uh sideways health benefits as well that'd be awesome yeah i mean it- any any activity, even like like Don saying that that even the fidgeting 
fidgetingness is good. Fidgeting. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to go read that article. That sounds interesting. It, it was a pretty interesting article. All right, so without further ado, asynchronously and all other ways magically, we're going to bring on Dr. Scott Leibowitz, the Piedmont Heart Institute. Dr. Leibowitz specializes in sleep. And without me telling you all the, the letters after his names and what he does and how he does it, I just thought I'd let Dr. Leibowitz introduce himself. So, Dr. Leibowitz, tell us a little bit about you and and what you are. So, you know, when somebody says a sleep doctor, that kind of sounds kind of, um, I don't know, not voodoo-ish, but like that sounds, that's kind of a broad topic. So, can uh, you tell us more about who you are as a physician and, and your training and what you do on a daily basis? Sure. Um, so, I am a sleep specialist, um, and sleep medicine is a fairly a newer field in medicine, which essentially has sort of spawned out of other subspecialties, but in fact, it's really, it, it has become its own subspecialty uh, with its own board certification tract and um, overseen by the American Board of Medical Specialties accordingly. Um, and my, my personal training was, is, uh, I did an internal medicine residency and practice actually as an internist um, doing general medicine and hospital-based medicine and critical care medicine for several years before I got involved in sleep uh, research. And then the sleep research that I was involved in kind of led me to Stanford where I did a sleep medicine fellowship, continuing my research and doing more clinical training as well. And then subsequent to that, I was brought back to Atlanta and started a sleep disorders program for a cardiovascular uh, practice actually here in Atlanta. And I subsequently uh, have been working here basically with this practice, which then morphed into the Piedmont Heart Institute um, and running essentially the sleep medicine practice of a larger cardiovascular program. And so my basically my day-to-day -day is really evaluating patients with sleep disorders or sleep or issues with sleep. And that, that those issues can be anything ranging from difficulties with sleep, either falling asleep, waking up a lot at night, as well as problems with daytime function, daytime sleepiness and fatigue and such. So I, I generally say I deal with the sleepless and the, and the sleepy. And essentially that can encompass you know hundreds of different problems all sort of interacting with each other and affecting sleep. Now, uh, I've, I've got to work with you a little bit. And so um, I've seen some of your facilities. So it's, it's kind of interesting. You actually have basically like almost like hotel rooms there at the sleep center, right? A patient will come in and you'll hook him up to a bunch of gadgets and knock them out and do some studies and things on them to see their sleep patterns and how they sleep and don't sleep and those kind of things. Is that, am I, have I got that right? Um, yeah, roughly. I think that's more or less, you know, what, what, what you're describing is the sleep laboratory where we do sleep testing. Okay. Um, you know, the, the sleep, the sleep test is essentially one diagnostic tool which helps us evaluate patients with complaints. It's by no means the, encompasses the entire, uh, spectrum of, of, of the specialty itself, but, but it is right. an, a critical component of the evaluation process, much like, like an EKG or an echocardiogram would be to a cardiologist. The sleep test is essentially the same to a sleep medicine physician. I just thought it was really cool to, you know, go up to your office and, hey, there's hotel rooms in this hallway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> TVs, it, comes handy. it comes in handy in a long day when you need to take a nap. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> they, there's never time for that. But, um, but yes, it is. And, and it's important, you know, it's a, it's a very, very important aspect of sleep medicine where we really do gather a whole lot of information about individual's physiology of sleep. And that's really what we're looking at is what does their sleep look like? What, what's the physiologic nature of their sleep? Where's the dysfunction? Where problems might lie? And then it helps us to sort of elaborate on a treatment plan and what to do with the patient's complaints and issues. 
Dr. Leibowitz, I have a question that's that's near to my heart, and I, I know Don's too. What is the medical cure for uh, uh, child-induced sleeplessness? Um, <laughs> abstinence. Uh, um, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there is there is no cure. I hate to say, um, you know, basically the, the cure for that is your child growing up. Um, and, and <laughs> that that takes too long. Us. Yeah, there's no quick fix to that one. Yeah, I was saying we were blessed with our son at two months old decided it would be cool to sleep through the night. And so he just suddenly started sleeping through the night. Now, on the opposite end, he wakes up very refreshed and full of energy every day. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a gift. Um, you know, most yeah. kids really it's really takes about 12 weeks till kid till babies have are, have literally matured their, their sleep mechanism have matured to a point where they can actually consolidate sleep for an entire night. So eight weeks is, is way, way ahead of the bell curve in that respect. I think he's just so high energy during the day. He just goes to bed exhausted every night. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just crashes. I can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody yeah. that's met my son knows that he is on the far right of the bell curve of uh, of energetic children. But right. so I, I've seen Dr. Leibowitz and some of the things that I've worked with you on from the computer side. I've seen the phrase um, in some of your notations of things: sleep hygiene. Can you, uh, if I remember that correctly, can you kind of tell uh, our listeners what? What is sleep hygiene? When you say that you know a patient has good sleep hygiene, what does that really mean? So sleep hygiene really refers to to the things that you do around the bedtime hour and in bed to help facilitate sleep in a constructive manner. And good sleep hygiene are essentially behaviors and processes that are sleep promoting. Uh, common things that are referenced in the sleep hygiene um, recommendations are avoiding things that tend to make you more awake like drinking a cup of coffee before bed or exercising right before bed, watching TV in bed. Essentially, the, the old adage that the bed is only for sleep and sex really comes about as a result of that whole sleep hygiene concept as well as another thing called stimulus uh, control, which we'll, we can talk about later. Uh, but essentially, it really references just the more you do while awake in your bed and in your bedroom that engages in more wakeful activities, tends to make it more difficult to fall asleep. And so, you know, anything that can help you sort of transition off and fall asleep in a more easy manner will uh, generally is, is sort of encompassed by that whole sleep hygiene concept. Yeah, exactly. Are some sleep disorders, some people that come in to see you, are, are they totally be able to, are, t are you totally able to quote unquote cure them with just sleep hygiene changes? You know, um, in fact, sleep hygiene is really more a basis with which to begin to address individual sleep issues and perhaps more a way to prevent sleep problems down the road. In fact, sleep hygiene has never proven alone to be an effective treatment for individual sleep problems, but rather it's until sleep hygiene considerations are improved upon or fixed, you, you have no chance of fixing the other greater problems. So it's really just a starting point, but incorporated to in, into any process that helps to help individuals sort of cure or overcome their sleep problems. And what we're really referencing is difficulties with sleep onset being the sleep problem that sleep hygiene is really addressing, typically. Okay. This is a show about, you know, uh, being more fit and more healthy, making better lifestyle choices to make your, your life more healthy. And... The reason that, you know, I approached you about this is because I know when I was almost 400 pounds, 
I did not sleep very well and I was tired all the time. And that was very, uh, that was not conducive to one to exercise. So looking at it from a broad perspective, how does being overweight, what role does being overweight play in a person's sleep life? I don't know what the right phrase is, sleep cycle, sleep, uh, sleep habits, I guess. Sure. Well, you know, I mean, it, it really, it, it, there's multiple ways that being overweight affects it. And probably the most common um, and most obvious is how weight and obesity and, and weight gain affects and increases the risk or likelihood of developing sleep apnea. Um, statistics show that about uh, for every 20 pounds over your ideal body weight, the risk of developing severe sleep apnea goes up by a factor of six. And really what that statistic demonstrates is, is that the heavier you are, the more likely you are to develop this condition. So let me tell you quickly what sleep apnea is so you can kind of grasp what it is. Can you repeat that, can you repeat that stat one more time? I want people to really get that stat. You sure. Said that statistic is that for every 20 pounds over your ideal body weight, the risk of developing severe sleep apnea goes up by a factor of six. So that means when I was 160 pounds over my ideal body weight, so eight eight times that times a factor of six, I was 48 times more likely to have why you didn't come for, to me for a sleep study when you were that heavy is beyond me, but we won't get into that. In your office, you told me, you said, Aaron, you have sleep apnea. <laughs> and I said, probably you said, no, no, probably about it. As I'm standing there going, uh, uh, after, you know, from walking up and down the hall a couple of times, you have sleep apnea, Aaron. And I said, well, you know, I, I do do sleep pretty restless. <laughs> Aaron, you have sleep apnea. So you did everything <laughs> you could in the, within the, the scope of your physician responsibility. So it's all on me, not on you. I think, though, for the listener, it may be a good idea for me to explain what sleep apnea is because we hear that all the time and a lot of people don't really get what that is. And so essentially, the full name of this is obstructive sleep apnea. So apnea means to stop breathing. Sleep apnea means you stop breathing during sleep. And obstructive sleep apnea means you stop breathing during sleep because of an, obstruct an obstruction. And the obstruction that we're talking about is literally the collapsing of your throat while asleep. And it happens in a cyclical manner. Thus, and when that happens, your brain, which really prefers you to breathe, will take you from a deeper stage of sleep up to a lighter stage of sleep to wake you. And this is not a one-time occurrence typically, but happens multiple times, 20, 30, 40, 50 times an hour. So when we talk about severe sleep apnea, we're talking about anyone who stops or struggles to breathe 30 times an hour or more. So you can see that by that statistic that I quoted before, that the likelihood of folks who are, who are morbidly obese of having sleep apnea is, is huge. And right. it's thought to be somewhere about about 70% of folks who are morbidly obese have obstructive sleep apnea. But that said, the same is true. With weight loss, we see a tremendous reduction in the severity, and oftentimes that is the potential cure that we look for for sleep apnea is truly weight loss down to an ideal body weight or, or somewhere thereabout. Okay, Dr. Leibowitz, let me ask you a question. Um, so what? I don't sleep well. What's the big deal? That's a great question. Um, so there's there's immediate quality of life issues, right? So you that's why I pay Mark the big bucks, actually, Woods. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, so the immediately quality of life issues are have to do with a combination of disrupted sleep, non-restorative sleep, being tired, being sleepy during the day, having cognitive dysfunction, having symptoms of inattention, all the sympt uh, hallmark uh, symptoms of attention deficit disorder. Difficulties with focus, concentration, staying on task, those are all symptoms of obstructive sleep apnea or sleep disruption. Having issues with depression and 
other sort of psycho psychiatric problems because you're not getting the restorative um, uh, benefits of sleep by virtue of the disruption of sleep that happens are other very common things we see. And oftentimes treating an individual sleep apnea, we see complete resolution or elimination of depressive symptomatology. Beyond those, you know, and, and there's memory issues that are often recall, um, those short term, mostly short term type uh, memory dysfunction because you're just not getting all of those benefits of sleep that we attribute to sleep and memory being a very important one as well as mood regulation. But going beyond that, and this is why I'm a part of a cardiovascular uh, uh, program, is that on the other side of this, sleep apnea has been shown to be an important risk factor and cause of many cardiovascular problems ranging from hypertension to high blood pressure to heart arrhythmias like atrial fibrillation to heart failure to heart attacks to strokes. The list goes on and on. And the, relate, and the more severe the sleep apnea is, the greater burden of risk from a cardiovascular perspective it carries with it. So it's not an insignificant thing. Just It's not just a quality of life. It's not just I sleep poorly and feel terrible all day. It really has more implications across the spectrum, not to mention diabetes and blood sugar control. Because each right. time you stop breathing, imagine someone taking a pillow and smothering you over and over again. You have this fight-or-flight response, this blood pressure surge, this adrenaline rush. And this is happening while you're asleep, you're unaware of it, you don't know it's happening, and so you don't necessarily feel all of that. But the downstream of consequences of night after night of this happening are all of these cardiovascular issues. And blood sugar mobilization to help fight off the, you know, the guy with the pillow. And that's why we'll see diabetes and blood sugar control issues associated with it as well. So that's the whole kit and caboodle from that perspective. Heart disease, diabetes, uh, depression, I mean, pretty much any of the things that they, all the... Um the comorbid factors that they're they're always talking about the risk factors in the news all of them can be associated with sleep apnea absolutely well and it, it was interesting that you said that about the depression i didn't realize that um because you've got this overweight person who's already depressed about maybe their physical appearance or lifestyle or they're just they feel like their inability to take control of their weight and then they're not sleeping which makes them tired which makes them feel more depressed which makes them uh on top of that again uh, you know, it's kind of cyclic, the whole thing. And then before you know it, they're, it's just spiraling out of control. But sometimes it can just be solved by addressing the sleep apnea. Yeah. And there, there's actually one other, um, I think, important aspect of this, which is, you know, I always tell patients that sleep apnea is a very smart disease because it really perpetuates itself by virtue of all the things that you just described, just the fatigue and listlessness and lethargy and not wanting to exercise and not be having the motivation to change your lifestyle and so forth. But beyond that, it actually impacts hormones that, that really sort of monitor and modulate our feeding behaviors and appetite. So there's a hormone called leptin, and leptin is secreted basically while we eat, which gives us a feeling of feeling full. And it's been shown that folks who are obese have leptin resistance, but it's also been shown independently of obesity, folks with sleep apnea have leptin resistance as well, so they don't feel satiated while they're eating. And then they, people with um, sleep apnea also have elevated levels of a hormone called ghrelin, and ghrelin actually is a hormone that kind of drives us to eat. It really is a very primitive sort of drive to, you know, to get calories, to keep ourselves sustained with energy. Well, there's elevated levels of ghrelin in folks who have sleep apnea. So the tendency to eat, maybe not even when you're hungry, just to go eat because it's almost like a, an urge. It's not just a behavioral thing. It's literally a primitive physical drive, and it's happening in part because sleep apnea is raising those levels of those hormones. And when treated, we see the leptin resistance go down, and we see the ghrelin levels go down as well. So it really is quite profound. Yeah, we, we actually were talking last last week. Um, I don't know if it was on the air or off the air, 
Mark is a big guy. Don is a big guy. I'm a big guy, you know, have been all my life. And Mark was talking about just the, um, the not having the know when to stop mechanism in your brain. You know right. how some people just feel like they don't. And it sounds like that could be that one of the possible causes from that could be sleep apnea. Well, it's, it's certainly something that drives it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I didn't even know if there was such a thing really, or if it was just something that seemed more anecdotal to those that tend to overeat. It was a learned habit as opposed to something more biochemical. Well, it sounds well, like there could be. It really is yeah. both, but it drives each other. Yeah. Well, Dr. Lieberts, I have another question, if you don't mind. Um, of well, that's quite, kind of why you're here. Of course you don't mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a cheapskate. I'm, I'm world-renowned as being a tightwad. Is there any way I can deal with this on my own, or do I have to go see a specialist and get an expensive device to, to deal with this? Um, the short answer is, aside from uh, significant and aggressive weight loss, which would be the only way to deal with this on your own, the answer would be no. There is no, there are folks who have some mild positional related sleep apnea, meaning it's worse on the back and really only happens on the back. So if you avoid sleeping on your back, then it, then you can essentially eliminate or treat the problem. Usually folks, certainly folks who are, who are morbidly obese, it's, it's more uncommon than common where those individuals will have mild sleep apnea. Usually people who are as, as symptomatic as a lot of the individuals that I'll, I'll see, Generally, it's not mild, and the only the only you have to have a definitive treatment, um, and that definitive treatment can be a few different things. Uh, but CPAP is really the main one, and if you want me to talk about CPAP, I'm happy to do so. So I can't go just get an aquarium uh, pump and stick it up my nose and and be good with it. Well, you could do that. I don't know how successful or effective it would be. You're not saying you can't do that, Mark. <laughs> I, I'm just not. Uh, you could do that. I'm not sure it'll treat the sleep apnea. But, um, but uh, no, there's really, unfortunately, not an easy way to address it. Explain to the listeners, Dr. Leibowitz, if you would, what a constant positive air pressure machine is, or CPAP, to the layman. Exactly. So CPAP is um, it, it, it's what you said. It's actually continuous positive oh, airway so close. pressure. That's very close. Though. It's a very noble attempt. Um, so CPAP is basically an air compressor. And the idea behind this is, is that your throat is collapsing. And we need to somehow create a mechanism with which to hold your throat open while you're asleep in order to prevent the collapse, prevent snoring, and allow your breathing to continue normally, thereby allowing your sleep to continue normally. The way that the most effective me means that has been developed is using air pressure as a means with which to pressurize your throat, essentially, holding the walls of your throat open, stabilizing them so that, that when you go to sleep, essentially the patency or the, the integrity of your throat is maintained by virtue of this pressure that's really creating a counterforce against the walls that are the, that are collapsing. Um, and, you know, it's a treatment. It's not a cure. So you got to use this thing every single night, all night, because when you if you have sleep apnea and you sleep without CPAP, you, you still have the condition. So it, it has... You know, it definitely has some pros and cons to it. It's like, you know, the things I tell patients every day is that it's not a surgery, it's not a medication, there's zero risk, and it's nearly 100% effective. And from a medical therapy for a condition that is signif as significant as we've described, that's that's a pretty darn good medical treatment. Of, 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 I can't even tell you a single treatment out there that's, that comes online with that in terms of the upside of it, I mean, the downside of it is that you got to sleep with this thing every night. I don't, I don't want to uh, run past that. It has no side effects, it's inexpensive, and it always works. It has no side effects, there's no risk, 
and it always works. You notice how I left out the inexpensive part. Well, compared um, to surgery or something like that, I suppose. Right. It is. This is all. You know, these are all. This, you know, obstructive sleep apnea is a medical condition covered by insurance, and the treatment CPAP is covered by insurance as well. So all of these is covered services. It's just a little bit more difficult if you don't have insurance because it is. All of this stuff is fairly expensive to go to to you know to go through the testing and to get treated, but. Um, but really, from the standpoint of, of a treatment for a medical condition, yes, it, it is It is relative to surgery, absolutely. Um, risks, basically none. And efficacy, effectiveness, uh, nearly 100%. So, you know, it does take some time. It does require, you know, evaluation and hopefully plugged in with a program and accre you know, accredited by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, Sleep Medicine Program, which helps to ensure that the outcomes are best, that compliance is optimized, that people adjust and acclimate to treatment because it does take some getting, you know, getting used to sleeping with some, with this little device. It's not, people, people, um, describe it or when they think of it, think of it as this horribly archaic, archaic, uh, treatment. And it's really not from the standpoint of how miserable it is. It's not nearly as miserable as people make it out to be. There are certainly people who can't use these devices, but oftentimes it goes very well with a period of acclimation and subsequently people will often do well with it. So you're not sending people to bed with a 90 decibel scoop suit? <laughs> not, not unless there's a special request and, and it's not for the purposes of treating sleep apnea, then, <laughs> then yes. From what I understand, um, on the, the CPAP machine is what, or the way I'm approaching it, I guess, is if I'm the guy that is 100 pounds overweight and I'm so exhausted that I can't I come home from work and collapse on the couch each night. While the CPAP machine may not cure my sleep apnea, it may get my sleep to be so much more restful and beneficial that then I might have the energy to start walking or exercising or something like that. And do we, do you see that happen? I see it every day. I, I mean, I, I can't tell you how. I mean, the beautiful thing about this field of medicine that I'm in is that every day I change people's lives. Literally every single day, multiple times a day, people come in changed. Now, there's varied degrees of response to treatment. Some people, it's dramatic and life-changing. Some people, it's marginally better. But for the most part, people who are profoundly affected have a pretty profound response to treatment. So yes, the answer is it really does provide a gateway potentially to a better life because literally people can subsequently have the energy to make those changes. And that's a big part of what I do is also a lot of behavioral counseling about weight loss and you know how to approach the lifestyle changes but the first thing i focus on is getting their sleep in order before they can really begin to make those steps towards changing their life because it's it's nearly impossible to when you feel miserable all the time if this is such a big thing for so many people and it it can make such a huge difference to someone how could i tell if i have sleep issues or if i should go consult a doctor about about any of this stuff because other than, than listening to the show and, and nodding my head at absolutely everything that you've said so far. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think you, you bring up a good point, which is awareness is, is about this condition, even in the medical field, um, is, is, you know, grossly under acknowledged. Um, you know, the, the reality of it is, is that about, there's a statistic from a couple of years ago that somewhere between 75 and 85% of all individuals with sleep apnea in the United States are undiagnosed. So wow. we're literally talking about one in four people who have the condition actually seeking treatment or evaluation. That's huge. And, and yeah, it's enormous. I mean, it's amazing. 
Um, so, you know, oftentimes, you know, people think life is hard. I'm tired. You know, that, that's life. And all you know is what you know. So if you're sat on this side of the fence and you're, or for instance, if you've lived your whole life with a 150 pound weight on your back and you've walked with a 150 pound weight, you don't know that it's not normal to walk with 150 pounds on your back. And this onset of this condition is very slow and gradual and you don't really appreciate how symptomatic you might be if you don't really know different. So oftentimes, first, if you have a bed partner, your bed partner will often tell you, you snore like a freight train. And that is often a, a, a symptom of sleep apnea. Just because you snore doesn't mean you have sleep apnea, but it's, it's nearly, it's entirely uncommon to have significant sleep apnea and not snore. So one thing is snoring, or if the bed partner has heard you gasping or choking or stopping breathing during sleep, those are all sort of giveaways about the presence of the condition. So let me, let me make sure we got that axiom right, Dr. Dr. Lee Woods. If I snore, loudly and I wake up choking, coughing in the middle of the night, I'm almost positive I have sleep apnea, but just because I don't do those things doesn't mean I don't have sleep apnea. That's exactly right. And in fact, I would argue it's more uncommon that people come to me with those symptoms than it is common. In other words, most people don't have the cardinal symptoms that we tend to think about related to sleep apnea. Most people actually, it's fairly, you know, it, 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 oftentimes people will be like, yeah, I'm tired. But my wife just keeps complaining that I'm snoring all the time, so I'm here. But I wouldn't come if I didn't. Um, snoring is not a continuous thing throughout the night, and as as and nor is sleep apnea a continuous thing throughout the night. Which means that if your bed partner is not awake at the same time that you're either snoring or stopping breathing, then they're not going to witness and it's witness it. And so it's fairly well recognized that bed partners are reliably unreliable as <laughs> far as historians are concerned. If it's right. about if, if it's a negative history, in other words, if if you, if your partner says, hey. You snore and you stop breathing. Well, that means something. But if your partner says, I don't, you don't snore and you don't stop breathing and you have symptoms, symptoms like waking up at night a lot, going to the bathroom a lot during the night, waking up tired, feeling sleepy during the day, headaches in the morning and all the other symptoms that we've talked about previously, then just because your bed partner doesn't hear it doesn't mean it didn't happen. So that's a very important thing. So symptoms. So back to the original question, symptoms are often a very good Thing to drive you to, for evaluation. Symptoms being daytime dysfunction in terms of sleepiness and fatigue and you know all those other things that we discussed as well as sleep symptoms, waking up a lot during the night or prolonged middle of the night awakenings, morning headaches, dry throat, sore throat in the morning. Those type of things are often symptoms of sleep apnea. I, I had another question. I, I'm just going through my mind things that I think people out there might be asking. Um, let's say uh, my wife or my cousin or my brother's uncle's neighbor has a CPAP machine. Is it safe for me to use that to try it and see if it works? You know, CPAP machines are, are similar to medications. They, and so you wouldn't take your uncle's brother's, you know, mailman's medication um, <laughs> because you were afraid that maybe your blood pressure was Depends on how good high. it was. Let's be honest. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> depends on what the effects were. But let's say it's blood pressure medication, okay? okay? You checked your blood pressure. Oh, it's a little high. Well, let me take one of his pills. Um, you know, the reality of it is, is that these devices, each device is tailored very specifically to the physiology of the individual with very specific settings as well as mass types and, and other sort of subtle settings that optimize the treatment for that individual. And the biggest, it's, it, would I say it's unsafe? You know, I wouldn't say it's necessarily unsafe. It could be if the pressures were high enough and you were an individual susceptible to having some problems as a result of using their device, but rather the more important thing that I, I see that happens as a result of that 
is a negative association with treatment. Right, so you know you have sleep apnea because of the bed partner's report. You've got a you know a friend who's got a machine, so you're like, ah, let me try that machine. You put it on, and it blows you out of the bed, and you hate it, and it's miserable, and you never, you're like, there's no way I could ever sleep with this. Forget it. I'm not even getting evaluated because there's no way I could sleep with that thing. Well, you know, you couldn't sleep with that thing because it wasn't designed for you. Right. And so, so now, in, in the event that you do seek treatment, and we do try to treat you, we have to overcome that negative association to try to get you to a point of being able to comply with and 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 utilize the, the, the CPAP. And, and that can oftentimes be a very a huge obstacle or impediment to a successful outcome. So, you know, well, you know, to cut to the chase, basically it's I rec I don't recommend doing that. Okay. But mostly for the reasons that I've outlined, more less so than safety concerns, even though there could be safety concerns in certain. It's areas. no more dangerous than the aquarium pump, is what he said. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I, I I pulled that out. I I actually read somebody online who tried that, so that wasn't something I made up. That was actually something sure. somebody said. Hey, I tried this and it's not working. What do you think's wrong? And the response was, <laughs> "You're an idiot." That's what's wrong. <laughs> That's an accurate yeah, diagnosis. Sleeping well doesn't cure idiocy. Oh, yeah. Some basic stats, Dr. Leibowitz. I'm a, I'm a 42-year-old uh, Caucasian male living in the United States. How many hours a night of sleep should I shoot for? You know, everybody, you always hear the eight hours, eight, hour, eight hours as the standard, eight hours of sleep. How many hours should I really shoot for? So this is a sticky question that I get about 10 times a day. And the, the, my patent answer is you need as much sleep as you need. And that's not, that does not mean you need as much sleep as you can get by on. And so, so the averages in the U.S. are somewhere between seven and a half to eight and a half hours a night. Uh, most people need somewhere between seven to eight. So that doesn't mean there are certainly people who, who can, who do, who are great and can't sleep more than six hours. And there are people who need more like nine or more. And so the question is really, how much do you need to feel refreshed, to feel functional during the day? both from the standpoint of alertness and focus and mood and so forth. Um, and, you know, do you wake up with an alarm? Because an alarm suggests you curtail your sleep, period. Um, but there are limits to that, and there's a range of that. And so, and just to kind of finish off, what's the, what's the downside of too little sleep besides being tired and sleepy and irritable and so forth? There have been some very, very large multiple epidemiologic studies done internationally in different populations, and pretty much all of them have shown that less than six hours in, of sleep a night chronically increases the likelihood of obesity, increases the likelihood of diabetes, increases the likelihood of high blood pressure, increases the likelihood of cardiovascular mortality, meaning dying from a heart problem. So we know that less too little sleep is a physiologic stressor, and that's an important thing to remember. Now, most of that data is based upon individuals who need more sleep, who, who curtail their sleep chronically, as opposed to the, the rare individual, and it is very rare, who actually are what we call short sleepers, where they really only need six hours or so of sleep. And while there's tons of people, I see it every day, who only get six hours of sleep a night, but those are individuals who, more often than not, are suffering with other comorbidities or will develop it down the road. So... My rule of thumb is, you know, you need more than six, and you probably need less than nine. And if you're falling less than that, you're curtailing your sleep too much. If you're sleeping more than that, then you probably have a sleep disorder. That I've always kind of felt like I might have been shorting myself a little bit because I typically sleep about seven or slightly more hours a night. I usually go to bed around 11, 11.30, and I get up between 6, um, 6.30. So it's like seven hours. And I almost, without exception, wake up before my alarm goes off. 
And I've always felt like, well, you know, I really need to try to get eight hours of sleep. I should go to bed because that's what I've always heard. But uh, apparently if I'm functional and, and peppy in the morning and not having cognitive problems and now that I'm not, I don't think I have sleep apnea now, I probably still need to come in and get checked out. It wouldn't hurt uh, <laughs> that I'm probably okay with seven hours of sleep if I'm not having any symptoms whatsoever. I'm the only one who could see Dr. Leibowitz on camera, and the face he made when you said that indicated that, yes, Aaron, you should still go on in. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the reality of it is is that um, I would, I would, it would be hard for me to make an argument for you, Aaron, that you need more sleep based upon what you told me. Um, you know, it, it, the, the waking up before your alarm, uh, often we see that all the time in folks who have sleep apnea because – the sleep apnea for, for a lot of different reasons can be worse in the early morning hours because of the type of sleep that happens there, especially in overweight individuals. The fact is for you, you feel fine, you sleep fine, you, you, you feel rested, you feel refreshed, you feel you're not, you know, you, all those things that you just stated, there's no reason to, to expect that you would need more sleep or nor would I necessarily recommend it unless you could get it, you know? Right. If you could get more sleep, I, I would argue that if you can get more sleep, then probably you need more sleep. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. So if, if I if I find that if I start going to bed at 10, I still wake up at 6, then I probably should have been going to 10 the whole time. Probably. But there's yeah. a, there's other variables. There's circadian right. rhythm variables, which probably exceed the scope of, of our conversation <laughs> yeah. today. Well, that'll have to be but, episode two. So, Dr. Leibowitz, I, I, uh, we've, we've hit our guests over the head with a lot of information that probably many of them were ignorant of uh, about sleep and the fact that if they're out there and they're listening and they're obese or morbidly obese, that they almost without exception are probably having sleep related issues that either are exacerbating or uh, at least contributing to some degree to their weight problems and their energy problems and all that. So if, if back up 18 months ago to where I'm standing in your office again and you say, uh, Aaron, you ought to come in and be checked out. And I just kind of blew you off and ran down the hallway and fixed the computer. Um, if you had that opportunity again to talk to our hundreds of listeners out there, thousands of listeners, millions of listeners, at least two or three people that are listening, uh, what would you say? How 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 would you address it? What do you want to What do you want to end? How would you like to uh, to close this out? Kind of sum up to those people that are overweight, they're listening, that are having sleep issues, feeling tired. What would you say to them? Well, what I would say to them, and I would, is that Aaron, you are in an exceedingly rare case. Which is to say that you've lost, you know, upwards of a hundred pounds, um, and, and, and did so with the impediment, as do a lot of folks who, who are, who are morbidly obese, of having untreated sleep apnea and all the intended consequences of it. And what I would say is, is that that is a huge obstacle or impediment to have the success that they want, which is eventually to lose the weight and to achieve a healthy lifestyle, both physically as well as emotionally. And, it, and treating the sleep apnea, it could be the bridge, it could be the gateway, it could be the key to them succeeding in that ultimate life journey that they're after and that, and that, you know, that success. So I would urge anyone who is overweight uh, to really look closely and to think strongly about getting evaluated for this problem. The worst thing that's going to happen is, is that you're not going to have it. <laughs> the best thing that's going to happen is is that you have it, you get it treated, and you may change your life. Right. One more question for you. If, if unlike Aaron, I don't have the luxury of living in the Atlanta area, how can I go about finding a uh, an accredited uh, sleep 
diagnostician such as yourself? So um, on the American Academy of Sleep Medicine website, which is aasmnet.org, aasmnet.org, there's a list okay. of accredited centers on that website. Um, and it will, and I believe it listed by state. So you can, you can typically find an accredited center there, um, and, and, or contact a university in your, in your, in your state who will oftentimes, you know, contact the sleep medicine department of the university, ask the secretary there, Hey, I'm looking for a accredited sleep center. Or, and you could even call the American Academy of Sleep Medicine's, uh, home offices in Chicago and they would direct you as well. And they'll direct you to where you need to go. Um, and, and, and that's essentially the easiest way to do it. I asked that question because I have every symptom you've listed, all of them. So I, I have to be doing that in the very near future. Well, good. good. I'm good. excited about that, Mark. I really am. <laughs> I'm sorry. What did you guys say? I'm on aasmnet.org right now. <laughs> trying to find some <laughs> well, Dr. Leibowitz, I really do appreciate your time. And uh, it may be very well that I'll be calling you up again in, in uh not too distant future to have you back on because – I mean, there's this, this is such a huge topic. And I think most people are really ignorant of how close related, uh, obesity and sleep disorders and just general health issues are tied together. I mean, it's kind of when I started working with you a little bit, I was, you know, shocked about all the things I learned just working on the computer side of it. Absolutely. Well, um, I'll be happy to come back anytime you want. All right. Dr. Lewis, thank you again. <laughs> thank you guys. I really appreciate it. All right. We had uh, Dr. Lee was with, with us there. He was a super cool guy and had a lot of information. So I, I just want to throw in one more tag and say, if you are that person that any of this rang true, go get checked out. If you have insurance, I mean, it'll cover the bulk of it, and it is definitely a great investment. So I have a very – cool, Thank you. Do that, Mark. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm excited about that for you. Uh, I have a very quick and easy eat less tip tonight, Don. Are you there. excited about my eat less tip? Did you see it in the show notes? Yes. Mark, are you it's excited? Uh, or is, is this something that sounds exciting to you as a person that likes to eat? Um, I guess. The, the show note simply says, eat less tip, try something new and healthy. Some people like to try new things to eat. Some people say, give me my meat and potatoes. I don't want to try anything new. I eat the same 15 things. But I just encourage you uh, – Ask some of your friends that eat, eat quote-unquote healthy and say, what do you like to eat? What do you eat that's healthy that tastes great? Yeah, but they always say vegetables. I don't like vegetables. I don't want those things. <laughs> but maybe the way they might do a certain vegetable might be good. And so find out what they say is great and try it. Maybe you'll run into something that you love. Uh, for me, I used to um, never, ever didn't even want to think about, keep it away from me. It even looks nasty. What is that? Where did it crawl out of? I don't like it. Please kill it. It's moving on my plate. Asparagus. I could not, it was just, oh, just gave me the heebie-jeebies just saying the word asparagus. Um, but Cheryl found some, I don't know how what she did or if my taste has changed, but she grills these asparagus now and they're almost a little crunchy and they taste phenomenal. They are incredibly good, and it's like eating candy almost now. And so if I wouldn't have tried it, I wouldn't have known. So that's my tip. Try something new and healthy and see if you like it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. My exercise more tip today, similar but not related. It's similar because it starts with the word try. <laughs> try a free gym, gym membership with a friend. Last winter, January, February, I went and paid uh, for a gym membership so I could didn't have an excuse when the weather was bad. 
Well, I augmented that at the front and the back, and I didn't feel like I was stealing from the people. They wanted me to come try their gyms out, sent me a card and said 10-day free trial, three-day free trial, one-day free trial. I didn't go to the same gym. I didn't use like a, I didn't get mine and Cheryl's and Don's and Mark's and go four times to the same gym or anything like that. I, I seriously tried them out to see if I might want to go and keep going if it really just struck a chord with me. But um, that's something fun to do to change it up. Go down there, see what equipment they have. Try out a piece of equipment you've never tried before. Uh, get on an elliptical machine, get on a stair climber, get on a rowing machine, just do something fun. So, uh, so my exercise more tip today is try a free gym membership with a friend. And, uh, I think that would, um, be good. And usually you can bring a friend and, uh, friends are always good when you go work out. It's, it's great. So I think that's it. Mark, if people need to find Don or you or me, or at directions to the pod pod, <laughs> where can they go? Well, a good place to start is uh, elementop.com. That's the uh, website, the home base of One Meal Workouts, uh, uh, parent company, production company, I guess, uh, uh, Element OP Productions. Uh, you can find out our other podcasts there. Uh, we have a number of them, and, and the one that we've mentioned in the past that sort of faded away has now made a comeback. I'm happy to say that the Hot Route football podcast recorded and will be released uh, very soon as of the live recording of this. So join us there. Yay. We've got, we've got uh, shows about tech. We've got shows about education. We've got shows about tech and education. Uh, we've got all sorts of good stuff, but also we've got good people. We've got Don. We've got Aaron. We've got other listeners just like yourself hey. who uh, have conversations uh, uh, online, and we encourage you to be a part of that community. Aaron, how can we find you and contact you on online? Well, you know, the easiest way is to just ask my grandpa how to spell my name. Double A-R-O-N. At one meal, one workout.com. You know, I, I'm, I've mentioned before, I think about getting butt dialed. I was butt dialed three times today by two different people. Uh, that's the great thing about your name starting with two A's. And so, yeah, double A R O N at one meal, one workout.com, or you can just go to www.one meal, one workout.com. And from there, you can get to Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, anything that we've got. Just Google it. Um, the number one meal, the number one workout, and you can find us. Uh, and so, We'd love to see some some uh, activity in the forums there at Element OP, of course, but um, we'll take conversation any way we can get it. If we can help you, let us know because that's why we're here. Just for you, just for your information, Aaron, I sort my contacts alphabetically by last name, so I won't Thanks be butt dialing you. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. <laughs> Not that I mind. Makes me feel loved for a few seconds. I'm just going to end up the show as we always do. Say, remember, before starting any diet or exercise program, it's recommended that you consult your health care provider and sleep hygiene expert. <laughs>